to a king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is a child. Man, that's a powerful idea. The only person with access to a king that can interrupt a night's sleep for something as small as a glass of water is a child. And you and I have that kind of access. We need to be reminded of that wonderful truth uh, when our minds are clear and our hearts are clear. That way it's there to be recalled when things get cloudy, hard, and painful. You are loved, you are cared for, and your Lord is paying attention. Be releasing this morning for Children's Church. So glad to see you all back. Listen, if you ever wonder whether or not the pastor wants noisy kids or a quiet sanctuary, the last two weeks was our test run. And unanimous, we take noisy sanctuary, noisy kids every time. The last couple weeks, I was worried the rapture happened, and I was left behind. I'm a little fearful of that, but it's good to see you this morning. You are a beautiful group. Allison. Miss Glenn has got a powerful testimony. The Lord has been good and faithful. Amen. For all those that are left, there will be no snack or craft unless you brought it yourself. That's right, unless you brought it yourself. There you go. There you go. I'm sure you do. An infinite supply. Toddler walks over and says, open. It's a Hershey bar. I knew Wade and Rochelle were here. The Lord is good. Listen, it is good to see you. Um. We are living in tumultuous times, and we are being uh, tested, pushed to the limits of common sense, to the limits of what's right and wrong, to the limits that, that you and I have ever been tested. We are right there. We need the Word of God. We need the people of God more than ever before. So when physically absent, you need to be making sure that you are making effort after effort to speak to 
other Christians. Do not get isolated. Do not get secluded in this. Do not get by yourself and be left there without hope. So if you're not interacting right now, you make sure, and I'm not talking about text message, you either pick up the phone or invite them over and speak on your front porch in the clarity of day or go to a football field and get 15 yards apart and yell at each other. I don't care. Just make sure you are making time for Christian people because if not, you are going to be in big, big trouble mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, which will all lead to physically. Okay? So we need to be understanding this. Like The, the leadership team at church is trying to make decisions um, on behalf of the church on behalf of, of what we believe God work, God's Word is telling us to do, you all are making individual decisions. I am begging you not to let one of them be complete isolation. You need interaction with Jesus' people. And anybody with a pulpit right now that is not saying that firmly is lying or sinning against God Almighty. They're setting you up for failure. So I'm begging you right now. Listen, it was a real wake-up call around here the last couple weeks. 25 adults, 50 people total for two weeks in a row, and your hair's on fire, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on? Lord, help us. And that's where we've been now all week as a leadership team, just praying for the Lord to help us. So I'm begging you right now, you do not take this time to be sinful, uh, isolated, loving it, enjoying it, drawing into it, because the enemy will eventually pummel you with it. God says you need other people. That's the bottom line period, exclamation point, whatever you want to do there. You need Christian people. Do not forget that in these times. Start of the new year, we were laughing in Sunday school that everybody always has a bit of OCD come January 1. You may not have it the rest of the year, and it may not have lasted until January 2nd. But somewhere between the 31st and the 1st, you and I had a smidge of OCD. We're going to get organized. We're going to get healthy. We're going to do all kinds of stuff. And then, right? We celebrate uh, the night. We celebrate the opportunity. You, you know, New Year's, a lot of times, too, is a celebration of hope, of what's to come. Now, it's a little harder to do in walking into 2022, right, after 2020 and 2021. But New Year's is a celebration of hope, the what if, okay? And for most of our lives, we weren't walking into it dreading it like it's only going to get worse, Right? This year, some people maybe feel a little different about that right now. But you and I, with the hope of Christ, with the hope of what's going on, we are here by divine intention in this moment. And today, I wanted to give you something to celebrate. Or as we read through it, it's going to end up being someone. Someone to celebrate. A great man, a good name, and a glorious God. We've been talking about uh, Jesus for the last couple months, just enjoying his story, trying to get a break from, uh, you know, running through the Old Testament and running into bad decision after bad decision, punishment, judgment, these other things. It was just getting very hard as we walked through the kings, especially the kings of Israel, to see their life play out and not be brokenhearted. It's like, man, we need a break. So we come to the oasis of Jesus. We've been looking at his story. We started in Matthew chapter 1, and we've just been working through it. The last couple weeks, what have we talked about? Well, we talked about the idea that he brings gifts. If you missed Christmas or the week after, last week, this is what we talked about. He brings gifts. What are the gifts that he brings out of Matthew chapter 9? Access, forgiveness, a fresh start. This one is important for today's sermon, so uh, deal with it properly. He brings the need 
to celebrate. Jesus brings the need to celebrate. You can't be in his presence and not celebrate. He brings hope. He also brings mockery. He brings life. He brings the reckoning, the idea that you and I are going to live a life that we have taken the time to examine. The questions that are going to be asked of you that you have to answer. And God himself, the Holy Spirit himself, will ask them to you. Do you really believe this? And a lot of times it will be the circumstances that draws that answer out. Do you really believe this? That's the reckoning. Jesus looks at those seeking healing and he says, Do you really believe? And they say, Yes, Lord, we believe. He's going to make you and I do the same thing. Especially in today's world. He brings sight He brings a marvelous word. You and I have a marvelous word. He brings a witness for you and I to be. He brings the compassion for those around us so that we will be that that witness and so that we will live on that mission. Those are the gifts that Jesus brings. In one chapter of Scripture, if you sift down the things that he is walking into this world with, those are some of the things that he brings just in one chapter. That last song we sang, man, that one is so important. Jesus brings access, and I told you that week that access without forgiveness, though, is only condemnation. To have access to a holy God of the universe that is perfect and righteous and a consuming fire. If you and I get access to him without forgiveness of our sin, we have gotten nothing but condemnation. Because his righteous judgment is going to fall. Last week we talked about the idea that what else does Jesus bring? He brings a sword. Matthew chapter 10 is one of the hardest passages in Scripture to preach through, to teach through, to have people understand a a, a more full picture of who Christ is. In that passage, he says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. He goes on in that passage to say, I'm going to separate father and son, mother and daughter, father and mother-in-law. He just goes into this passage, and the idea that he brings in that passage is this. Truth separates people and some of the people even in your own family are going to be the ones that react the harshest to what you have to say when you and I are standing on God's truth one of the greatest condemnations to our modern church is all the people that have had a pulpit or a ministry or a microphone and they have had their uh, uh, opinion or feelings of scripture change based off of some personal experience that they have gone through and one of the biggest culprits in our culture right now is parents that have preached and teached for years and then their children come up in a way that is not godly and then all of a sudden these people that have taught for years are now changing their perspective on scripture because of the personal experience of a child what we see is who is ultimately the authority in the life of someone like that Convenience or ease, not having a hard conversation, or the word of God. He brings a sword. Who does he bring them to? What's going on in that passage where there are a chosen people with a calling? He goes on in that passage. You can read it for yourself later. There is a cost to the calling, but he also gives the courage to follow through. And there are a collection of people. There is a collection of people that will be there at the end. You and I need to, be, to desire to be a part of that collection. Hebrews 10 says we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who persevere. 
it's hard to persevere when you dodge truths that are coming your way, and especially in our culture in 2022, like a freight train. It's going to be hard to persevere if you get knocked off your feet with the first time somebody expects you to agree with, affirm, or do things that are ungodly. You're going to get knocked off your feet. You and I need to see them coming, and we need to be ready. Why? Because that collection of people, for that collection of people, there is what? Beautiful, glorious reward. There's a crown. There's a well done from the king of kings coming. And that needs to be our sight. That needs to be our direction. That needs to be what we're worried about most when you roll out of bed in the, smor- in the morning. Jesus, am I pleasing to you? Today we're going to see that story in John the Baptist. We're going to see that story. We're going to be pushed into it. There is a testimony to celebrate, and it's John's life. What is John's life? One of the, um, one of the pieces that I've loved to pull apart in the last 10 years is this. There is passion... And there is truth. The fire of passion, the light of truth. You and I need both. There are are charismatic movements that are very passionate, but they're light on truth. And there are more conservative churches like ours that care nothing about passion and all about truth. They're dry, painful people to be around. Right? I heard one guy say they put the mental and fundamental. It's hysterical. Come on. That's really good. Right? I would say the other one, but it's not. It's funny. It's a Chuck Norris joke. They put the mental in fundamental. All light, all truth, no passion. The other side is anything goes as long as it feels good. We did not have church unless I felt it. We didn't have church and we didn't honor God unless I felt like his spirit was there. And so you got these two things, and they're always in competition. The goal is to find the sweet spot. A commitment to truth and a passionate heart that drives your life and mine down the right direction. John has those things. Matthew chapter 3. Read with me there just real quick. The preparer and the preacher. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who also preached that message? Say it out loud. Jesus. That's the message Jesus will bring. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who's bringing it first? John. He is prophesied about. He is the preparer for the way to come. He's going to make straight the path. He's going to be the one crying out. When you see John... The idea was in Scripture, when you see this person that is like Elijah, get ready because the Messiah is coming. John is that preparer. He is that preacher. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, the persona. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. What's the persona here? This guy is relentless. He is a wild man. He's not nearly as refined as we would expect a man of God to be, at least in our culture, right? It's a very sad thing to see the modern church 
where the idea was perpetuated so long that godly men showed up, sat in the back, and kept their mouth shut. And that really was the persona for many churches coming from leadership. Would rather be left alone than have to deal with something hard to be dealt with. Would rather the numbers increase because everybody was just a little more pliable than they should be. Instead of those that were standing there like watchmen, whether they preached and taught the word or not doesn't matter. Every person in here is required to be a watchman for the church. Not having godly men has not only failed so many marriages, but it has failed so many churches. John the Baptist is the polar opposite. And so some of you men in here, I would beg you this morning, when you hear Jesus speak about John the Baptist, I hope you take it as a personal indictment, and I hope you take it as a personal challenge, because I cannot read the passage without both. Apathetic is not a word that should describe any man or woman of God, especially men. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. What happens? The people, what do they come for? They come for hope. They come for something new. The washed-up religion that they had been used to, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rules, the commitments, the things that make it look like only these people can attain what God has to offer and the rest of us are just peasants and begging for scraps. That had run cold and had gotten old. But there's a fresh message and a prophet of God. And people are seeking him out. Look at verse 7 with me. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptisms, he said to them, You brood of vipers, sons of Satan, who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The Pharisees come out in self-interest. And John, being an appeaser and a people pleaser, right? The calmest of individuals looks at them and says, You sons of Satan, who convinced you to come out here and hear what was going on? Then, he tells the religious people to repent. You know how offensive that was? You need to repent. Your hearts are dirty. You dishonored God. You dishonored the people. You're sons of Satan. Look at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will, be, uh, will burn with unquenchable fire. So there's your background. There's a promise that John the Baptist gives. The promise is blessing and judgment. The promise is he is coming. Messiah, Christ, is coming. And with him is going to be blessing, and with him is going to be a curse. 
Repentance is what drives which one of those we experience. It doesn't matter your position. It doesn't matter that your mom and dad went to church and drug you there when you were little. It doesn't matter that your grandfather was a pastor. It doesn't matter that you've served in our church for 50 years. It doesn't matter if you served in this church or that. What matters is what have you done with a repentant heart between you and the Lord? The call to repentance in your life, was it, did it land like the Pharisees and the Sadducees where it was appalling and frustrating and you didn't want to have to deal with that? That lands you in the unsaved. Those that have not bowed the knee, bowed the heart, honored the Lord and yielded to Him being Savior and Lord. Or when that message was delivered to you, did the Holy Spirit prick your heart and you say, yes, Lord, I am dirty, I am needy, I need your righteousness. couple outcomes to that message we see them in the passage one delivers hope and one builds our pride up so we walk off and just disregard it the people came for hope the Pharisees came out of self-interest one left prideful the other left broken and hopeful with healing taking place and you know who else they were looking for turn to Matthew 11 They're going to find him in Jesus. You see, you and I have to deal with Scripture, and we have to deal with the idea that these are heroes in a real world. So when you read through the entirety of Scripture, and you get to places where David is still known as a man after God's own heart, and yet when you and I read through the story, we see all the horrible things that he did. There's an element here of the heroic and the godly living in the real world. Friends, Jesus is going to be the only spotless hero you and I have. Everybody else is going to have warts and blemishes and a past, and the really good ones are going to have repentant stories that break your heart, but they're going to give you hope and they're going to draw you close. Why? Because if God can do it for them, He can do it for It's one of the dangerous things about our culture, especially as I look out and see my friends that have dealt in the ministry of of drug addiction. One of the most dangerous things in the world is to only see what people are doing while they're in the middle of the lifestyle. My buddy Aaron, we were talking one day a couple years ago before we did the cross project and we made the comment. He said, when I call the news and try to tell them a good story, I get the if it bleeds, it leads. And they blow me off. And my first thought was, man, if you, don't give the, if you don't give the community some hope that these people can come through this, that the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver them, you're going to end up in the wild, wild west where people are really tired of having their stuff stolen or taken or whatever else. You've got to give them hope that there is healing and redemption and people that control that lever that could give it out on a broad spectrum refuse to do it. You and I need real heroes in a real world. Jesus is the only spotless one you and I are ever going to have. Look at Matthew chapter 11 with me. 
We've read through chapter 10. We know that Jesus is delivering hard uh, truths to the crowd. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? If we get one blemish in John's life, Right now, you and I see it, or maybe we see it, where maybe his faith is wavering just a little bit. You say, well, what's going on? Well, it told you in verse 1, where's John? He's in prison. He finally offended the wrong person that had enough power to rein him in and throw him in a cell somewhere. And who was that? Well, it was Herod told him he shouldn't marry his sister-in-law and then he wouldn't back down when Herod and his sister-in-law wanted to. So what happens? He's now in prison. He's watching his life come to an end. And in that moment, even John can seek answers. He is a real hero in a real world. He was a righteous man that paid for it by going to prison. He is a righteous man that is getting ready to pay for it with his life. That's a hard sell for new Christians. I'm going to run this story by my next kid that says they want to become a Christian. That's a hard sell. That's real life. Like there's real evil? Absolutely. There are people in charge that are evil? You better believe it. Your boss may be one of them. Somebody in Charleston may be one, sitting down there in the Capitol making laws that you and I are required to abide by you better believe there are some in D.C. Not, to, not, not just the people that walk through the halls of those amazing old buildings, but all around there that write all these policies when they bring out a law that's 2,500 pages thick. Maybe the president? Maybe. You mean there are wicked, evil people in the world? Yeah, and they pull some really powerful levers. John run into him. He called him a brood of vipers. And then told him love wasn't just love. That'll get you canceled. That was John's crime. We're seeing John's punishment. And this real hero who is the cousin of Christ who had to hear the story, you are a miracle child and your cousin was a miracle child and the Lord said you were going to do this. Like he has to know the story. He was brought up in it. Mom and dad are too old. They should not have kids. They have a child. Cousin Mary wasn't married yet. Biblically, that's a little different than what we would expect in our culture when you say it out loud like that. She's not married. She has a child. When she walked into my presence, you were in my womb and jumped for joy. That's the story of John. Mother and dad would have probably died when he was younger or a young man. But he knew the story. This is the story of your birth. And yet he's in prison, getting ready to pay with his life. And what is he trying to figure out? Was it all for nothing? Or should I be looking for another one? Real hero in the middle of some really 
bad news. His goodness, his righteousness, and his over there preaching. Remember, he wasn't in the city standing by the temple. Wasn't in the city standing by the palace preaching the message. What was he doing? He was out in his realm preaching the message. And it was so powerful and it was so potent that it got him in trouble anyway. He didn't have to be in their face. The message was enough. And so what does all of his righteousness get him? Thrown in prison. Why? Because he lives in a real world that's hard and painful. In the midst of his most trying and limited, uh, his most trying time and his limited time, he questions maybe everything. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me. And Jesus answered them and said, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus answers John. Listen, when you're praying and you're asking God for answers, let me give you the template. Jesus answers John the same way he answers you and I. If you're not looking at this passage with Jewish eyes, or you're not looking at this passage through a study Bible that is drawing in a context from other scripture, or maybe has a big note at the bottom talking about what Jesus actually is saying here, you're missing the point. What is Jesus doing to John? Jesus is telling John, I am fulfilling scripture. And the ones I'm fulfilling from Isaiah are all about the Messiah. When he comes, what he will do. When he comes, what he will say. When he comes, who will be preached to. When he comes, what life will be like. Jesus answers him the same way he answers us. Look at scripture. Lord, it doesn't feel like you're answering me. Well, you haven't opened your Bible in a year. Since you put down your reading plan of, of 2021, you haven't looked at your Bible. And now you're praying for answers, and you think the Lord isn't answering you. He's going to answer you the same way he answers John, his cousin, whom he loves dearly, whom he esteems highly. And he looks at John, and he says, look at Scripture. Well, let me read those passages to you. Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19 says this. In that day, what day? The day of the Lord. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Verse 19. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. How about chapter 35, verses 4 and 6? Or four to six, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What did we just see in the passage just prior to this? You're watching these miracles fulfilled. Then shall the man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. How about Isaiah 61? Verses 1 through 3. 
The Spirit of the Lord, uh, God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in the passage where Jesus actually opens up and teaches that in synagogue, he stops right there rolls the scroll back up and looks at the crowd and says, this has been fulfilled in your sight today. Why does he stop there? Because look at the next verse. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus opens that scroll, reads that passage up to the point where it says the day of the vengeance of God, and he stops. Why? Because he wasn't bringing that yet. Yet, the mute speak, the lame leap, the deaf hear, the poor are cared for. And then Isaiah 8, verses 13 and 14. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him Uh, be your dread and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it they shall fall and be broken they shall be snared and taken what is Jesus telling John I am Messiah I am God To John's disciples, he answers his question by quoting scripture after scripture after scripture that says what? When Messiah comes, these things are going to happen. And Jesus said, blessed are those that don't stumble over me, that don't stumble over my message. Why is that? Because his message is the one that brings life and hope. And yet there's going to come a day when Israel cannot deal with the message of the Christ. Blessed are those that hear it, receive it, find joy in it. I think the idea of the poor have good news preached to them is just something phenomenal for Jesus to say. Why? Because the poor was forgotten. Look at verse 7 with me. Here's the challenge. Here is the heartbreaking shove in the back. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. When, when prompted, this is what Jesus said. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Verse 7, who did they go out to see? They went out to see a sturdy man and a sturdy message, not a coward. What did you go out to see? Someone shaken by the wind? Nope. You went out to see someone anchored in. Immovable. I was laughing, one of the prayer requests, the word rigid, come up a couple of times this morning. I was like, well, it's going to be fun navigating. Sometimes rigidity isn't all that bad. Sometimes it makes you a pain in the tail. Or whoever you're dealing with, a pain. They went out not to see somebody pliable, not to see somebody giving a nice self-help talk, a motivational speech. These poor people, these broken people, they went out to see someone that was anchored in. 
that had truth and wasn't scared to share truth. That's who they went to see. Because all these other philosophies and all this other help was not helping. We are still poor. We are still under uh, subjects of Rome. These people are still horrible. And all you all have is not helpful. So Jesus looks at them and said, Who did you go out to see? Verse 7. A reed shaken by the wind. Did you go out to see a coward? Or did you go out to see someone sturdy? Verse 8. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. I have a hard time even reading that verse because for the last like 15 years of my life, I have chosen my clothing based totally off of what they felt like. I went through a time in college where Gabe's, or what was the other place? Rugged Warehouse, that's what it was. That was a college budget. Walked through there. This is nice. Kind of stiff. So, oh, this is nice. It's got something stupid on it. I'll flip it inside out. It's $3 and it's soft. I'll wear it inside out. And that's what I did. Gym clothes, eating out clothes, fancy clothes, didn't matter. That's a hard verse to read from somebody that's just spent like the last 15 years. Once my mom didn't get to pick my clothes anymore, it was good to go. You remember that when you were a kid? Yep. Stiff as jeans on the planet. You're reading through and like, what's, what's husky, mom? Nothing, just put them on. You're, you're, you're big boned, baby. Thank you. It's crazy stuff. These are stiff as a board. I don't want to wear jeans. You're wearing them. Okay. Did you go out to see a connoisseur? Right? I just get this mental picture of, you know, like the swirling of the wine that people do, and it's always real expensive. Like tea with your pinky up. You do that at the fire department, it'll get you in trouble. Even if you pour something in your coffee, it'll still get you in trouble. But if that happens, it's over. Did they go out to see a connoisseur? Did they go out to see somebody that just had the best of this life? And they just had access to it? And they were just doling out wisdom because of it? You know who that person was? That person was Solomon. Friends, 2022 America. Are we more like Solomon or are we more like John the Baptist? Now, I need you to answer that question in your heart and in your mind with a little tremor. We're more like Solomon. We've got the best that the world has to offer. Our stuff is comfortable. Our houses are nice. Our bills are usually paid on time. If they're not, there's help. We're not like John the Baptist. What kind of clothing you want? I don't care. Give me the camel fur. Well, you better attach that with something. Give me a belt. Hungry today? This little bug will do just fine. It's like Fear Factor, right? Remember that show? It's Fear Factor before it was cool when you could win money. It was just sustenance. And then every once in a while, you run across some delicious honey. God's candy. If there weren't pineapples around, honey would be the next option, right? Just the Lord's candy. He's just showing off. Comes out of a bee's bottom, right? Like an egg. They eat insects and poop breakfast, right? It's hysterical. John was not that kind of person. And because that, you and I need to remember 
The gap between these two is we are closer to Solomon who bought into the worldliness. He had no needs. And so he makes really bad decisions. And parents, I need you to understand, just like Solomon made bad decisions that affected the whole nation, our need for comfort is causing us to make bad decisions too. And our children are going to suffer because of it. We're more like Solomon than we are John the Baptist. At the end of the day, who does Jesus speak of like this? They went out to see a man of sacrifice, not a connoisseur that had the best the world had to offer. Friends, your, your nice car and your nice house and your nice clothes are wonderful tools. But when those things are beat up or broken and shared, when the story is told, when you're sacrificing for the good of others, those are the ones that the Lord looks at and brings out their story. Jesus could have answered the question and been done with this. And instead, when John's disciples walk, walk off, he doles out the greatest compliment ever heard about another human being. Of those born of woman, there is no one like John. Look at verse 9 with me. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. They went out to see a man of substance. He was a prophet. He had the message of God, but he was also on a mission of God. What creates this kind of substance? I see three things. You have a message. You have a mission or a people to deliver it to. And the third thing, third thing friends, use the last two years to build this in your life. There is a concept of only so many minutes left. You woke up this morning running out of time. So did I. What creates this kind of substance? A message worth telling. A people to tell it to. And the idea that you're running out of time to tell it. Our whole culture is learning about the fragility of life in the last two years. It was an absolute shock to all of us to wake up one day and say, you mean there is something so dangerous out there that I might die if I get it? You know the difference between 2019 and 2020? The difference was only that knowledge was handed to you. That is the only difference. You woke up one day and somebody told you you need to be fearful because your life is running out of time and we all went ballistic. There's no difference between 2019 and 2020. Your time is running out and so is mine. People of substance live with the message and the mission and that idea. I only got so many days to work for my king. That was John the Baptist. And in case you think I'm taking this way out of context, John the Baptist is getting ready to die young. So is Jesus. So were some of the disciples. 
you and I woke up in 2020 and somebody reminded us all together, you're going to die. And you don't know how it's going to come. And you don't know who's going to bring it. Might be your family member. Might be somebody at church. In 2019, it might have been the same people. Might have been a vehicle that you were in driving down the road to church or away from church or to your job or on vacation. Listen, the truths are still the same. We woke up in 2020 and we were just reminded all together. 70, 80 years ago, Great Depression. Before that, crops didn't come in. Your family was in trouble. After that, you're 16, 17, 18. Hey, World War II's brewing. Oh, and you're going to ride on this boat, and they're going to drop this front thing, and you're just going to be shot. For the last two generations in our country, you, you and I have gotten used to, we've grown up in not the normal. We've grown up in the exception. The normal is... If this doesn't happen or this doesn't happen today, tomorrow, or this season, I am in trouble. The warlord next door is upset. I am in trouble. That's the whole of human history until about the last 60 years in our country. These biblical truths count. John the Baptist is a man of substance, and part of that substance is the understanding he only has so many minutes to live for his Lord, to love his people, tell the mission look at verses 12 to 15 with me from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and if he uh, if you are willing to accept it he is Elijah who is to come why because who is going to follow Elijah the Messiah he who has ears to hear let him hear verses 12 to 15 the main point in verse 12, John's example shows the intensity of how heaven is built. doesn't look that violent anymore. You say, what do you mean by violence? Well, when you and I come to know the Lord and he opens up our eyes as to what's going on, we do violence with ourselves. Jesus would later say, if your hand causes you to sin, to what? Slap it and put it behind your back? Right? Give yourself a timeout? No. His response was, if it causes you to sin, cut it off. That's how serious he took what was happening. If your eye causes you to sin, what? Cover it with a patch? Right? No. Gouge it out. These are figurative sayings, but they have very spiritual, uh, a massive amount of spiritual truth held in them. Things that cause you to sin, things that cause you temptation, which in turn has you sin, needs to be eradicated. We need to declare war on it. We can't minister to the people around us in a way that honors the Lord because we've not declared war against our own self and our own sin. John is a picture of what it looks like to be brought into the kingdom. He is also the herald that shifts all of history. Who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, Jesus says that is him, and then after him is a cataclysmic change, and I am it. That's where this is going. So once again, all the tomfoolery out there about how Jesus never claimed to be God are people not reading the Scripture properly or understanding what is being said. 
Jesus doesn't look at John and say, go tell him I'm God. He looks at John's disciples and says, go tell him all these prophecies that God fulfills in the Old Testament. And tell him I'm doing them. He's, heard, he's already heard of some. Tell him these other ones. The blind man is huge. Nowhere else does somebody heal the blind. That miracle is reserved for God only. And Jesus says, go tell John the blind receive sight. Messiah. Last couple verses and we're done. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I think just a piece of that last verse is simply this. The proof is in the pudding. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Look at John's life. Look at his connection to the Lord. Look at his usefulness. And then he would say, look at my life. And he said, this generation is like trying to deal with flaky children. Man, we a song with a flute and you didn't dance with us. You didn't rejoice with us. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. We grieved and you didn't grieve with us. And he says, John is the one grieving. John is the one showing this way of life, this way of godly living. And they say, he has a demon. Don't listen to him. And then Jesus comes along. I told you the need to celebrate from two weeks ago would come back up today. Because the, 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 the contrast is John shows this way of living and then Jesus comes in. And what does Jesus do? He celebrates. He eats. He loves. He forgives. He lives life. And he's wringing it dry. Both him and John do the exact same thing every day as much as you can get out of it. One, looking like a glutton and a sinner. You say, what do you mean? Well, he's not keeping all the religious fanaticism. And then you've got John out here in the wilderness like a wild man. And Jesus says, there's never been another like him. John comes secluded, intense, and in denial of self. He's giving away his life constantly. All the pleasure, all the comfort, it goes away. Why? There's a mission. And then Jesus comes in. And what's Jesus doing? Well, he's living in the crowd. Jovial, loving, forgiving. Jesus called some people serpents too. <laughs> including one that he would later use to start the church, Peter. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. He comes jovial, loving, and kind, and forgiving. And yet the generation, the world that we live in, can't deal with either. Friends, stop trying to live your life in a way that makes people love the Lord that don't love Him. Stop trying to live your life in a way that makes people respect the Scripture that hates it. Just be when you can give, give. When you can live life, live it. When you grieve, grieve so they can see it. When you celebrate, celebrate so that they can see it. Let them see God work. Let them see a Christian life that has it all. John is, is lifted as an example for his asceticism and the way he goes about just letting go of life. And it's a wonderful picture and it's a hard one. 
Thank God Jesus comes in on the other side and says, and I've come living, loving, having fun, and I'm known as a glutton and a sinner. He creates room for you and I just to live real life, eat food, enjoy people. I mean, have nice things, don't let them have you. Live your life with focus and substance. Lives like John's are hard to be around. This bar is hard, and these people are hard to deal with. Why? Because they are rigid. They don't give. They don't compromise. They don't compromise with evil. They don't compromise with their children. They don't compromise. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. So what happens with people that burn this hot? You are either repelled from them or you catch fire too. That's the problem. John, Jesus would say, John was what? He said he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John chapter 5. John was a burning, John was set on fire. And you know what? You were willing to be a part of that light for a People like John repel, or they catch other people on fire too. It's good to be near people like John. It's good to be near people that are on fire and will not relent. Sturdy, sacrificial, and believers of substance find the king's confirmation and his blessing. I see this story like we see Job's in the Old Testament. Satan comes into heaven to talk, and God said, Have you seen my servant Job? Job was not on Satan's radar. God put him there like a doting father. Jesus could have stopped, tell John this, and then went on teaching the crowd. Instead, he didn't. He said, of those born of women, no one is like John. You get the attention, the affirmation, the confirmation of the God of the universe. He is watching, paying attention, and there are times that he is doting on you like an awesome father. Does that idea not blow your mind? I would love to get to heaven one day and know that my name had come up in Satan's presence because the Father brought it up. You seen that going on right there? You seen my servant? Would that not be unbelievable? We need to find and live out righteous passion for those that deserve it. To a glorious God first. The reason to celebrate is because you and I have a glorious God. We can celebrate wonderful people, but ultimately it comes down to this. Why are you going to live that way? And why am I going to live that way? Because God deserves it, not because somebody's example makes me want to do that. The bar is very high. We need to find our righteous passions and we need to live them out. As they come this morning to play and we wrap up, I'm begging you, like every time you talk about passion,